there's kind of a dichotomy between um, marketing best practice, which is build your database, spam them mercilessly. And by the way, no marketer would go, we're, we're creating content, Stephen, and it's curated and it's beautiful. And, and, and my team doesn't spam anybody. Our quote is 10 emails a day. Have we sent 10 emails to at least 90,000 people today? Right? Um, and I think there's a dichotomy, frankly, in that kind of concept of performance, velocity, acquisition marketing, and how people feel. I'm Steven Spears, and this is... The Future. The Future. The Future of Customer Engagement. And Experience Podcast. Thanks for joining me. This episode, we get emotional. Webster's Dictionary defines emotion as a conscious mental reaction subjectively experienced as a strong feeling usually directed towards a specific object and typically accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes in the body. Whew, that was a mouthful. In more simple terms, an emotion is our human way of putting a meaningful label on experiences. We do it unconsciously. And there isn't just three or four emotions to experience. According to a study published in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, there's 27 emotions we can experience. There's admiration, adoration, aesthetic, appreciation. 27 emotions. That's 27 different ways to label one experience, making it crucial to get it right. But when building out marketing plans, do you take that into consideration? That's what we'll focus on today how emotion is a requirement of creating a good customer experience and how that is changing marketing strategies at every company. Joining me to discuss is Jason Rose, Chief Marketing Officer at SAP Customer Experience. Now, Jason, what was the last time you were emotional? Well, well, Stephen, I, w- I would say this call. I'm having fun. I, yeah. I have to say, like, um, if you talk to my leadership team, if you talk to people in um, teams that I either work for or work with, I, I bring my full self to work. My my highs, my lows. Thankfully, there's more highs than lows, uh, Stephen. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I I try to really pour you know, all of myself, including my emotions into the one-on-ones I do, the skip levels I do, the uh, calls I do, because if I'm showing up and kind of half listening, I probably shouldn't be there, right? So I need to bring that focus, attention, be present. And yes, that includes bringing my emotions. Felt like Jason had the perfect perspective on emotions and experiences, not only because of his role and knowledge, but because of his life and career experiences, they're pretty extensive. All starting with growing up in Northern Ontario, Canada, we would go ice fishing in the wintertime. Everybody had their snow machine. Don't call it a snowmobile because Sorry. that's actually like a brand, right? <laughs> Is it really? Um, so they'd be like, I don't drive a snowmobile. That's like Bombardier. I'm much more of a Mach 1 kind of person, which is I'm like going, okay, it's a snow machine. I get it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school in Waterloo, Ontario for finance and accounting. I worked in Toronto for an accounting firm called Arthur Anderson, which was really big at the time. And then a little thing called Enron happened and blew up the whole uh, company. And at that point, I did a consulting project for Arthur Anderson with a company called Inea, which was a 30-person software company. We didn't call them startups back in uh, 2000. Uh, I just dropped by the office one day to, to say hi to Mark, who was the CEO over there. And he said, Jason, I want to talk to you in my office. And I was like, well, okay. So I walked into the office and he said, Jason, we need somebody to uh, project manage our uh, first big U.S. implementation with J.P. Morgan. 
And I was like, what? Literally, Stephen, never been outside the U.S. before. I'd only been in Canada. Um, so the next day, like, well, the next week, I was literally on a flight to New York. And I got to tell you, going from small town Canada to, you know, uh, the, the Wall Street Apple, and yeah. the financial district in New York, I almost had a panic attack. I'm not, I'm not going to kid you. Um, but that led to me going into consulting in a software company. Once he made it into a software company... All of a sudden, his world was opened up to this new role called pre-sales. You get to paint the vision, get everybody excited, and then you hand it over to consulting when the deal's won to do all the hard work. I got to be, people have asked me, Stephen, like, what's your job? And, you know, a lot of non-software people wouldn't know what pre-sales is. And I basically said, I'm the rock star of the software industry. <laughs> I walk on stage, I get everybody excited, they're holding their lighters up, and, you know, kumbaya, <laughs> I walk off the stage, and if they buy the software... Great. If they don't buy the software, it was the sales guy's fault. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that that was my job. And then that I, I went to a company called SRC Software, which got bought by Business Objects in 2005. And we didn't have product marketing. So that's when I moved from being pre-sales to product marketing for a financial planning and analysis tool, again, with my accounting background. After a handful of acquisitions and promotions, he found himself at SAP. And then I said, you know what, I'm ready to go off and be CMO. And in 2014, I left SAP, became head of marketing for a company called DataSip. I stayed there 18 months. Mm. I went to a company called Gigya. And then lo and behold, two years later, that got bought by SAP. I'm back again. I'm leading marketing teams. You know, now having that combination of both startup as well as kind of big company experience mm. has kind of brought me full circle to where I am today. But in that process, I moved from Northern Ontario to Southern Ontario to New York City. I opened up an office for one of the companies I worked at in New York. And then from New York, I moved to um, uh, California to do product marketing and mm. have been here ever since. With all of those experiences you've had and the knowledge you've gained from it coming together to kind of create who you are and your philosophy now, how have you seen that emotion play a pivotal role in customer experiences? Well, I love it. I think uh, Maya Angelou um, kind of said it best, right? She said, mm -hmm. people forget what you say, people forget what you do, but they will never forget how you made them feel, right? And I think emotion and, and feeling, I'm kind of equating the two here, but I think they're pretty closely um, related, you know, through all of the digital marketing, like um, uh, whether you call it um, acquisition marketing or performance marketing, right? Acquisition mm -hmm. marketing, performance marketing, that's a code word for the people that will spam you ruthlessly. That <laughs> you looked at a website for five minutes and then for the next month, you're seeing that watch or pair of shoes or briefcase or whatever it was follow you everywhere across the web. And you're like, it's kind of creepy. And I already bought it. So I don't really want your damn ad anymore. Or like literally probably 99.9% .9 of the emails that come into my Gmail account are unwanted spam. How does that make you feel? Like, I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, that's terrible. But you know what? At the same time, I talk to my email marketing team. I'm going, of the 90,000 people we just emailed, did we get the 2% response rate we were looking for? And, and, and there's kind of a dichotomy between um, marketing best practice, which is build your database, spam them mercilessly. And by the way, no marketer would go, we're, we're creating content, Stephen, and it's curated and it's beautiful. And, and, and my team doesn't spam anybody. 
our quota is 10 emails a day. Have we sent 10 emails to at least 90,000 people today, right? Um, and I think there's a dichotomy, frankly, in that kind of concept of performance, velocity, acquisition marketing, and making how people feel. Now, interestingly, the public is speaking, right? And there's been a lot of attention on GDPR. If you're unfamiliar with GDPR, it's the general data protection regulation that came out of Europe that says you have to opt in and consent to various forms of communication, including email, and you can unsubscribe anytime. You've probably seen it on the websites now with the cookie thing popping up and asking you to agree. Now, California just passed a similar law that went into effect on January 1st, 2020, as well as other places like Brazil, Australia, and Canada, which shows the consumers are speaking. But it's caused companies to now have to take the time to figure out what are people's true interests. And as marketers, we go, darn it, another regulation that gets in our way. But as a consumer, I actually go, wait a minute. So now if I'm shopping for a car, I could go opt into my three favorite car companies, get the information about their midsize sedan. And then when I've made my decision, go into the dealership and buy, I can unsubscribe, check the box for all those and stop receiving all the freaking annoying offers. Consumers are saying, I want to feel good about the brands that I work with. They better be providing compelling content that I want to engage with versus, you know, the 10th email today that I've gotten from company X that I'm never going to read. So in a way, the regulations provide a chance to pivot and change the way you look at marketing. It's the voice of your customer. If I've got 100,000 people in my database and 2% are converting, which is 2,000 people, and then, you know, even 200 of those people turn into opportunities and 20 of them buy software, it costs nothing to send an email, Stephen, right? Mm -hmm. on, on, in theory, so the math kind of works. And I think that's where the challenge is, is that we need to look, flip it the other way and go, actually, your brand cost is the, um, in my example, the 98 thousand people in that hundred thousand person list who didn't respond unsubscribed or are just so fed up with your email that they're not looking at it and mm. you can't focus on the two percent that engage you have to focus on the experience for the 98 percent who are um, maybe telling you something different and i think that's where the opportunity is as a marketeer is to get more and more targeted so hopefully we're more and more relevant to our audience and to our customer a positive experience has really become an important branding tool you know, emotions and experiences um, most typically happen in, in the real world. Um, you know, I, I know virtual reality and augmented reality and some of these things are blurring the lines. Like, I don't know if you've seen these smart mirrors. Um, you know, there's actually a, a company called mirror.co, which has a whole workout. You stand in front of the mirror and they actually project the um, instructor onto the mirror and they motivate you and they get you going and you see yourself and you're looking at the, I mean, it's a mirror. It's freaking uh, like, this is like so far beyond Star Trek, right? Like the hollow deck is coming people. Um, but, uh, one, one of the best science fiction uh, movies for, you know, predicting the future, I think was minority report. Remember that one, you know, when he walks through the mall and it has the uh, retinal recognition and then all the store offers change and the billboards kind of pivot to him. This mirror technology is very much getting there, right? And I don't think they'll use retinal. I mean, we've already seen with the, the face ID on Apple, they actually just recognize a much richer aspect of your features. But mm. the level of personalization and the level of um, ability to create emotion, feeling, connection that's personalized to you in the market is like on the exponential part of the curve right now. Now, that level of personalization, though, is, is tricky. Can you take it too far? 
Target actually crossed this line um, quite famously where, um, you know, they collect uh, point of sale data, right, which is things you and I purchase every day um, in their stores. They have a great data analytics team. Um, and they've been able to, through, um, you know, correlation of what someone is buying, figure out different life stages. So they've figured out that if you buy, like, unscented hand lotion, um, you know, a few other things, that you're probably pregnant, right? Mm. So they actually started sending maternity mailers um, to a household where the father of a teenage girl said, why am I getting all this material stuff from Target? And went into the store and argued with the store manager. And then it turned out, of course, the daughter was pregnant. So you want creepy? Like that's kind of a worst case scenario, (laughs) right? Uh, Quite quite famously. And I think what was lacking there, Stephen, was consent and transparency, right? The person um, hadn't asked to be personalized in that way, didn't know it was happening. So when it did happen, I think it was perceived that that target had crossed the line. You can't go too far, but if you work with consent and transparency, it should insulate and protect you from those types of situations, right? Now, I am curious because all of this sounds great in theory, but what's a way that it's actually happened, a way you and your team have actually created an emotional marketing experience like you're talking about? We did this amazing mailer that literally you opened it up and there was a, um, a video that started playing mm-hmm. talking about the power of X and O. And then there were instructions on how to eat the chocolates that were <laughs> below the video screen that we talked about smell them break it, feel how those chocolates feel, let them melt in your mouth, savor the taste. And then underneath that were tickets to X4, which is Qualtrics' big conference, and to Mm -hmm. Sapphire Now, which is SAP's big uh, uh, conference, with a VIP access number and a VIP contact. All feelings engaged. Direct mail sounds so 1996, right? Sounds so old school. But I got to tell you, it hit on all the, and the box was beautiful to boot visual, Mm -hmm. um, hearing and seeing, taste, smell, tactile. I mean, that is full on experience. That's full experience marketing. And I think that's the bar, right? That's the bar that Mm -hmm. as marketeers we're competing with. So if you think your next email is a little fancier and cooler and it's going to convert at 2.5% instead of, uh, uh, you know, 2%, you might want to reconsider your strategy. That's awesome. This has been great, Jason. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Steve, I just wanted to say thank you um, for uh, the time today, um, for having me on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. All the best to you, to the listeners out there for an incredible 2020. Jason Rose, Chief Marketing Officer for SAP Customer Experience. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, if you have any questions on anything that we've discussed in the episode or just want to discuss further, feel free to reach out to me, s.spears at sap.com or go find more information at thefutureofcommerce.com and go ahead and browse through all the other great info we have there for you. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Let us know what you think or any other topics that you would like us to tackle. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the Future of Customer Engagement and Experience Podcast. We'll see you next time.